there, you and you and you right there. No, you standing up there, back there. Hello, welcome. You're listening to News of the World. It's kind of like a podcast that comes out every week and it looks at news in different ways from different angles using the two brains. Uh, one, speaking to you right now, Mark Fonseca Rendero, that's me. And then we have another brain. We put two brains together. The other brain, Tim Pritlove. He's over there. He's yeah, in Berlin. Yeah, looks more like <laughs> half a brain today. What are you? What are you yawning in the in the uh, hello? Yeah, I'm I'm tired, man. I'm already. This week was, yeah, a lot of gonna, things happening. I I, I want to say that we're gonna, we're gonna do it's the election special. No, yeah. every every episode. Is, but <laughs> every there was episode of News of the World is an election special, but it's never been as special as today. But I, yeah, and I also want to tell people that uh, we're going to talk about the German elections, right? And and Tim and I were talking before the recording a little bit, and he said, uh, "I'm ready." I watched Django Unchained last night, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't ask you yet, but I don't understand how that makes you ready, <laughs> except that it's a good film. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm ready in the sense that that I'm going to try to use my best English that a non-native English speaker oh. can come up with, especially with a German background. I really, yeah. really, really enjoyed the way. <laughs> Christoph Waltz was, uh, you know, talking his yes. part, and it's uh, yes. so I feel a bit like this. I'm prepared, uh, you know, whatever yes. it can be. I'm trying to you... be very charming, but uh, very to <laughs> the point as well. Yes, and yes. don't mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Got it. So uh, I was uh, I was often in Italy uh, throwing a plastic disc on the beach, but. Uh, the German elections happened, and even some of the Germans on the field uh, in the evening stopped and started reading the results. Uh, it's been a few days, so of course we're not going to break the news of, of who won or anything like that. Uh, obviously, uh, winning is also in quotation marks, but the the CDU, so Angela Merkel's party, uh, retains its to some extent its its power, right? It's it's oh, yeah, to a, some extent they were actually extending their power. It's just that they're uh, gotten rid of their um, or lost their, their coalition partner, the FDP, the no! Liberal Democrats, they are gone. <laughs> For the first time in German history, they didn't make it into the parliament. What happened? I mean, this is probably the end of a very long story and everybody has seen it coming. Uh, oh. The last four years were totally terrible for the uh, FDP. Uh, they had They've done everything to have a bad reputation. Uh, it's not only their neoliberal portfolio that they have been pushing along for a very long, very long time. They are also had a fair share of personal problems with those um, in the front row not being popular at all and making it worse only uh, on, a, on a daily basis. And of course, their politics. I mean, you can think about this whatever you like. Um, but it's generally seen as being not very social, very <laughs> focused on their lobby groups. They uh, get their support from. So they have the reputation now of being totally lobby controlled only for their, you know, only focused on who gave them money. Just mm. not really a party doing politics for all. And that's the image they couldn't get rid of. One week before the federal election, there were elections in Bavaria, and even there they were kicked out of parliament, and they have been in the government. And I guess that was sort of the end, mm. uh, the the, uh, the beginning of the end, and sort of next week, so at the weekend after, uh, the same results more or less uh, repeated uh, on uh, both on the federal level and on regional level with the... Um, um, local elections in uh, Hessen going on. So now, the, I mean, there has to be a coalition partner, right? The, the CDU can't do it on their own? Yeah. So let, let's look at the results just by numbers. So the CDU has gained a lot. You know, they made something like eight, seven, eight uh, percentage points up, which sounds a lot, you know, which sounds like, oh, yeah, she must be very popular. And in a way, she is. Nobody really knows why. <laughs> um... It's just that she has perfected a style of politics 
where you never ever say anything concrete. You never really get to the point. It's just more like, you know, <laughs> oh, it's going to be good. And um, I'm, I'm here and I don't care what you ask. You know, I just give you this fuzzy, warm feeling of everything will be fine. Um, <laughs> so the liberal Democrats are out. And the only parties that remain are, of course, the Social Democrats, which are, you know, still considered to be the other big party. So whenever there's a coalition between um, the CDU and the SPD, the Conservatives and the Social Democrats, it's named the Grand Coalition, although mm, you know, probably not, not that grand anymore, <laughs> but we'll come to this uh, later. Uh, quite surprisingly, the Greens have lost a lot they were reduced to not only to 8%, they were also falling behind the left party. Yeah, I'm looking at them. Which is them. quite interesting because n nobody ever knew what the future would hold for that party that were once born out of the East German um, SED party. But, you know, this history now, it's... We have... Uh, What's this, like, like almost 25 years since the um, reunification. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we're getting closer to a time where the new Germany is actually much older than the, the old Germany. Uh -huh. I'm not saying we're, we're there yet, but, you know, things are changing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So we have these four parties in the parliament and the Greens are now the smallest of them. Yeah. Which is a surprise because they have been hugely popular when during the time of Fukushima, where they uh, even gained, uh, they were winning the uh, elections in Baden-Württemberg, the southern, southwest uh, region of uh, Germany, and were actually have, um, you know, were, were winning these elections and, and, and toppling the conservative uh, government. So everybody was expecting them to be uh, to do much better, but they didn't for yeah. a lot of reasons which are probably not that interesting here at this point. So now we have <laughs> this new situation. And what's especially interesting about this election, and this comes back to my most popular topic of, you know, <laughs> voting systems, <laughs> we are uh, discovering an interesting... Uh, part of our democracy and of our election process because so there's the FDP they had something like 4.8% so they're right under this basic hurdle of 5% that you have to have in order to get into the parliament at all yeah. but there was this other populist anti-euro party called Alternative for Germany party AFD mm -hmm. and they also got something like 4.8% so they almost made it. They were founded in, in March, you know. <laughs> this this part doesn't even exist here. Uh, and they have been beating the populist drum of like, oh, the euro is killing us and we are paying for everybody else in Europe. Very hateful. And uh, it's uh, very good they didn't make it in a way. Mm -hmm. But there goes another 48% of those who voted. And then, of mm -hmm. course, you've got the Pirate Party, which didn't do very well. They were just... 2.2% two, two I think yeah. in the yeah, end that's right. um, and of course all those other esoteric and you know <laughs> unimportant parties that somehow still gain to some uh, extent uh, support of some people and it all sums up to 15% of the votes who have been actually cast but which in the end didn't really count or didn't even influence on how many seats are being given out. So basically you could say these votes are lost. Because in the end, if you are not voting for somebody who gets more than 5%, your vote isn't counted at all. It, I mean, it plays a, a role still in the question of how much money do these parties get uh, compensated after the election. But that's a different story. Um. So now we're in a situation where the conservatives, the CDU, although they were only getting 42% of the votes, is actually has been very, very, very close to the majority of the parliament. Mm -hmm. Another 1% or 2% would have done it, and then they could have 
ruled alone. Uh. Um, but if you count the non-voters too, everybody who did not vote at all uh, or g gave um, an illegal vote and those who voted for somebody who didn't make it into the parliament, it's like 40% of those who were allowed to vote didn't have any influence at all. It was more or less um, yeah. controlled just by 60%. So, but this 15%, I think, is, is the more uh, strange number. So you have an election system which sort of pushes you to be strategic. I mean, you could say, oh, yeah, you know, just that so many votes were actually going to parties who didn't make it sort of proves it otherwise. People are still investing in, in small parties. But I know a lot of people who said like, yeah, you know, if I'm voting for this little party who is obviously not making it, and this is also a question on polls and, and you know, what, what the media is doing with these elections uh, during the battle. Um, some people say like, like, oh no, I'm just going to decide between those who are More, well, it's more realistic they actually make it into the parliament so that my vote still has an effect in the end. So basically you are making a strategic decision and you're not making a decision on what it should be, you know, on the issues, on what you think is right and which, uh, who you want to uh, be included. And that's a problem. The discussion isn't big, but at least it has come up somehow. Mm. The other problem is that now that the CDU has got something like 48% of the seats, there's only like four, three or four or five uh, seats missing. I haven't really looked at the, yeah. the final results, but that, that's the situation. So in order to have a so-called stable government, they now need a partner. But there are only the uh, Social Democrats, which have another 25%, or actually they have something like another 30% of the parliament. Yeah. And they've done this before. So uh, uh, four years ago, the, uh, the former government was actually this grand coalition, but it wasn't as strong. Would they go now into a grand coalition? It would mean that more than three-fourths, more than 75% of the seats are going to the government Or, to put it the other way, less than 25% are opposition. Mm. That's not only not much just by headcount. The German uh, constitution explicitly uh, asks for at least 25% to start certain initiatives in the parliament. Let's say there's a scandal and you want to have a, a, a dedicated council just you know, looking at these things as we just had with the uh, right-wing terror phase and which has been thoroughly um, worked out what happened, you know, did the government, what did the government do wrong? This is a very strong and very important part of the overall political process. But now we, have, we, we are facing an opposition that's not even able to do this, even if the whole opposition is completely united. I mean, whole opposition in that case would be Two small parties. And that's not good. The other crazy outcome of this is that while everybody is talking about the win of the uh, conservative side, you know, actually, if you would call the Social Democrats left, and it's very debatable to what extent they are actually left or, right. you know, center, center. or, or uh, even towards... Um, not particularly right wing but you know very um rooted in 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 the center uh to an extent that they wouldn't call themselves leftists but just let's say that the social democrats are more left than anything else which is probably true and the green party which sort of applies for the same thing mm -hmm. uh at least if you look at their roots they have changed a bit uh in those last decades And then they have the left party. And they have actually 50% or more than 50% of the seats in the parliament. They could form a government. Yeah. Nobody likes Angela Merkel. Everybody was, you know, going against her policies. And she was like the main enemy. And the enemy has less votes 
but they're still incapable of coming up with uh, a government or the idea for a government. Just because they don't think they can agree on things in total and so on. Hmm. So it's a mess. So we might huh. end up with a grand coalition, which is the, the worst thing that could happen. Also because this means that because they have more than, by far, more than two-thirds of the parliament seats, they can even change the constitution if they like. And regarding things like data retention laws, which have recently just been pushed back only by the constitutional court, which mm -hmm. said, like, no, it's against the constitution, they could come up with things like, yeah, if it's about the con against the constitution, why don't change we just it. change the constitution? Because <laughs> it sucks, apparently, you know? All our fine laws we came up with in the last 10 years were all, <laughs> all killed by the Constitutional Court. You know, maybe it's just the Constitution that's wrong. Hmm. And that's always a problem with the Grand Coalition. So that's my it's view on the uh, <laughs> election results. Bad and bad is what you're saying. Bad news and potential more bad news. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I've been looking at uh, the German federal election, Wikipedia, and all the different parties, and yeah, yeah, it's um, it's odd. Uh, you mentioned the uh, null votes. That was like six six hundred eighty-eight thousand. What's called invalid ballots. Mm -hmm. uh, impressive number, bigger than many parties, actually. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's only the conservatives uh, have more votes than people who didn't vote. <laughs> I mean, it's it's obvious that not everybody is really in this game of you know playing uh, here right. with the circus. I mean, it's it's already uh, interesting to see that the um, the outcome was actually there was actually a slight increase in voting, so we had more people voting than last time. That's not mm -hmm. something everybody expected because we're continuously talking about like oh nobody cares anymore for politics yeah. and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I don't know what the reason were, but. Um, yeah, it might, might be a good trend. But in the end, to come back to the, the idea of uh, election systems and the problem of strategic voting, what if you would have... And it's actually... Fi finally, I've seen some discussion on media, not to an extent where it's say like, now is the time to talk about this. But it's coming up, you know, people are starting to realize that this is a problem. What if you have not only one vote, well, actually, to, to, to clarify this, in a federal election in Germany, you actually have two votes. But these are for two separate things. One is a local election for your local representative, and that's the majority win. So mm -hmm. the, the person who gets the most vote in your local part is sent to the parliament, whatever happens. So if you vote for the conservative guy, he wins, he is getting his seat, whatever happens. You know? um, if a party wins four of those local um, of those local rounds, gets four representatives vo uh, voted directly into the parliament, the whole party passes the 5% uh, um, Threshold. Barrier, threshold, even if they're below. So if the party gets 3%, but they have at least four uh, representatives elected directly, this threshold no longer matters. Mm. It's interesting because this ha actually happened when the left party didn't make the 5% border, I don't know how many elections ago, but because they are so strong in East Germany and they have won so many seats directly, this uh, rule applied. But mm. back to the core uh, problem. Um, so that's the, f the first vote. So if you're not voting for somebody who wins, you know, your vote in that sense is also lost. But we don't have a majority voting system as it uh, is in the US and as it is in uh, Britain. You know, which I think is a, a, a very bad idea in general. And you can just look at the US and you know why. Um, because things don't change anymore. The second vote is a vote for parties in general on a global scale. So if you vote for party X, that 
counts directly. And that's the, the second vote is the most important vote. Um, although second sort of sounds like it's second rate, second best, whatever, it's the, the one that's, that's much more important. But here we have this problem with strategic voting. If you say like you're like the Pirate Party here in Germany, but you really have the feeling they're not going to make it, and that was the feeling that was out there, because everybody was saying, like, yeah, pirates, no longer cool, you know, they spoil it, mm -hmm. uh, they're gone, they're going to have 3%. Then everybody says, like, ah, okay, if I vote for the pirates, which I probably, you know, could think of, not me personally, just like in general, then my, my vote is lost. So I better go and send it somewhere else where it actually makes a difference. That's the problem. So how can you fix that? You could fix that by, you know, giving away another vote that counts if the first one sort of voted for somebody who didn't make it. That would be one way. Or open it up in a general manner and say like, okay, why don't I vote for all those parties that I consider to be, you know, a good match for the parliament? Why not give out three or four or five or six or seven votes? I could vote for everybody, then that wouldn't make any difference. You know, you have to leave out at least one <laughs> to make a difference. But it would mean that you can vote for a small party you'd like to see in the parliament while still voting for others. You know, you mm. would sort of leave out what's not good for you or what you would not to con consider to be good for everybody. And I think is an idea that that must somehow um, come to life sooner or later. Because the way it is not right now is simply um, unjust. You know, it's it's unjust. I mean, a, a de democratic election is supposed to be fair and treat everybody the same. But yeah. if you drop fifty percent of the votes just because they didn't make a certain threshold, which is not your fault, it no longer counts. That's not good. Hmm. So that's my take on the German elections. <laughs> that's four days at least of of talking and researching and <laughs> I think you've gone through. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not all <laughs> big new news. It's, it's, it's a, a thought process that's mm -hmm. at least going on in me for a long time. But it's funny to see the this outcome to be uh, actually a very good example of why this is not working. All right. Well, uh, we'll see now because there still has to be an announcement, right, for for potential coalitions and so forth. So yes, this will probably take uh, some time. We'll see if the the uh, the the majority, the left majority, is sort <laughs> of taking advantage of this somehow. But I think they're just too spoiled and too dumb to actually <laughs> make something happen. It's the same problem. We have the same thing happening in uh, in Canada. It's annoying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next item, and I caught this one a couple of days ago. I'm always fascinated by presidents of Iran, and the new president of Iran, Rouhani, he was interviewed on CNN, uh, the very mainstream uh, news channel, and I thought it was a pretty interesting interview. I wanted to make sure to link to the transcript if you don't feel like watching, because they, unfortunately, they always use this whole translation thing, and they. The style they did is you just hear silence while the translation is going in his ear. Anyway, uh, more importantly, uh, it was an interesting interview. I thought probably, I mean, I used to like the Ahmadinejad interviews because it was like, <laughs> was it was so like, funny. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like a puzzle because he would, he would never answer directly, but he would say things kind of backwards. Like, yeah, like, but this Rumani, Rouhani guy, yeah, he's yeah. on a roll. I mean, he he is really into it. He's yes. trying to face the world and, and you know, is on on his way on a PR mission for he's Iran. He's a rock star. He's definitely a rock is, star. Is he right already? Now. I don't know. I mean, right <laughs> now he's, he's uh, I would say he's center of interest right now for obvious reason. I'm not so sure he's already made it to, to rock star uh, <laughs> level. I think he has to sustain this a lot. But at least he made everybody go like, huh? Ooh. What is happening? Who's that? With they're that talking. Nice, they're they're nice. not supposed to talk. Why are they talking? You know, they're even congratulating Jews to, you know, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> What you say, there's no uh, 
the, the Holocaust has actually happened. You know, you didn't say that before, did you? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Well, maybe we have to talk to this guy. No, yeah, he has a much cooler style. I mean, I watched the interview. He's almost like Ahmadinejad used to kind of smile when he was talking, but he was smiling like, oh, child, I know better than you. This guy is much more like, hello, my neighbor. How are you? Good morning. Yes, yes, and we, 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 we well, everything will be fine. <laughs> and uh, they did talk about nuclear for a while, and you know, he he repeated actually stuff that has been said many times that Iran has no intention for a nuclear weapon, that it's actually illegal for them to do so in mm -hmm. their own country. They wouldn't do it. Um, but he, it seems like there would be a, a Rouhani uh, Obama phone call at some point. I doubt it would be an in-person meeting. This would this would have been one of the few chances to do it easily. Uh, now I think they're they're. I don't know when the next time a gathering is going to be, uh, where they could be in the same place. But at least a phone call, I think there would be. Um, so I think he's a very interesting guy, and the interview is is worth reading. I was reading up on his bio. I mean, he's he's not an outright rebel or anything. He's just a more moderate person who's interested in fixing a lot of the the problems of the past, especially when it comes to connections with the world, uh, which is a pretty, you know, in the context of Iranian politics, pretty, ooh, new and cool. Like, he wants to talk. Mm. So, uh, so recommended interview, um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know, worth watching, too. I so, but it was what, what do you think what, uh, is behind it? I mean, obviously, Iran has been suffering a lot by all those... Um Limita uh, economic limitations that were put put on them. Um, what's the word again? The, uh, the sanctions. It. Yeah, sanctions. the sanctions. Here we go. Uh, yeah. um, and I think I th I. Oh, what do you think? I I see it as their their hand is forced to move now. I mean, they can't really sustain this uh, level on one hand, but on the other hand, maybe he just has a different style. I mean, he's no. Um, unknown person. He has been part of the uh, talks with the US on the uh, nuclear program for a long time. So sure. he's a behind, behind the scenes man. Yeah. And he's has been known, that's what I read, uh, sure. of being somebody like you can actually talk to and, mm -hmm. you know, as already stated, <laughs> uh, which wasn't really the case with Mr. Ahmadinejad. Yeah. Ahmadinejad. Funny yeah. name, at least. <laughs> we'll miss him. Yeah. <laughs> So what do you uh, make out of it? I mean, is this uh, is this a change or is this just something that looks like change? No, I, I think this is a change. But this is a change on the sort of diplomatic front. So this is a change in language and approach, style to some extent. Um, he still has to deal with a lot of the culture and i'm talking about political culture in his country but he's he's able to do things differently especially towards foreigners which i think is very interesting i mean even right away in his interview he 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 wants to speak to americans you know he's not going to ignore them he's and and i think he's tapping into a reality which is a lot of iranians have either an admiration an interest or even a connection to the united states Life-wise, family, whatever. So um, I think he's speaking and thinking more of this segment of Iranian, the Iranian population, as opposed to the segment that is afraid, is suspicious, is, I don't know, angry, whatever. So I think he's, yeah, he's representing a, a, a different kind of Iranian and one that actually hasn't had a voice in a long time. And why now? Well, maybe, maybe because it, it, it just was getting exhausting, <laughs> to play that other way, you know, that, that, that we are completely going to do things on our own and we're going to speak this funny talk, especially as the president. We're going to speak in puzzles. Yeah, no more I mean, speaking in puzzles. But it's, it's, I, I find it especially, the timing, I, I find it especially interesting because of the hubbub uh, around uh, Assad and Syria. Iran being considered to be one of the supporters of uh, Syria. Yeah. And... In a moment where there's at least some, uh, you know, proceedings on uh, the issue of chemical uh, weapons and America and Russia finally having a UN resolution ready. Do we have this on our list? Uh, did we no, I, I didn't no? put it on the list. I, yeah. I was just so tired of Syria. <laughs> yeah, okay. I kind of understand this. Well, no, actually, I'm not tired of Syria. I'm tired of UN semi-news. Resolutions, yeah, but... <laughs> 
Okay, we yeah. we uh, we at least briefly uh, uh, sure. mentioned this. Sure. So that that's why I was sort of um, surprised to see him approach the U.S. on uh, on such a big scale. I mean, he's been on on U.S. news all day, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't. Yeah. When you bring up Syria, that's a good point. You know, the, sometimes I wonder also, just like with the U.S. or any or many countries, where you know how much influence does the president have? I mean, many comedians have joked about how you know, no matter what country you're talking about, the president doesn't have the power to change basic fundamental policies that a country is pursuing either militarily or economically so i almost wonder you mean any president not the american president any president yes. of any country yes. yeah but so in this case the iranian president i wonder how much power yeah, pres- I mean, we know pres- presidents are overrated maybe uh i think there's evidence for that but uh that doesn't mean that it's totally so uh but when i hear yes the 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 stories um and the rhetoric some of the rhetoric that still comes out regarding syria i don't see a very different iran in that sense but who are the people in iran or the powers in iran that are really playing in in this syrian conflict is it the president's office i i don't know you know i I, when i listen to the man now the new president anyway i think he's not involved (laughs) but maybe that's just giving him too much credit and being too kind uh Maybe he's very much involved. I don't know. <coughs> I, it, I had to think so much about it, I had to cough. <laughs> um, yeah, so well, I'm sure there'll be more Rouhani fun in the next uh, few weeks, although there's no cool meeting the way they, they just had the UN General Assembly, so that's an, always an opportunity uh, for the Iranian president to hang out in New York and, and do some interviews and buy some cool new clothes. Although this this Iranian president always wears the same clothes, so yeah, no more members only jacket. That's what I'm going to miss about Ahmadinejad. But oh well, we can't live in the past. <laughs> no, uh, and we no. can't stay on this topic here uh, forever. No. So let's uh, no. move on. Yeah, well, the word is uh, I caught this in the Egyptian press actually that over in Sudan uh, there could be or there seems to be. A sort of Arab Spring, or maybe we shouldn't put such titles on it. Uh, that's what they did. Uh, there is a wave of protests going on against uh, the Sudanese government. Uh, Omar al-Bashir, of course, a guy who's been president a long time and is wanted by the International Criminal Court for his crimes related to Darfur and beyond. And basically, uh, oil prices have uh, skyrocketed. I think that the Sudanese government pulled some kind of a subsidy uh, that probably kept oil cheap. And now all of a sudden it's quite expensive. And so you've had mass protests uh, and conflicts in the street where police are confronting protesters, buildings of belonging to the presidential uh, political party uh, have been attacked or occupied and big conflicts going on in Sudan. And I was, I was reading some of the details, you know, they talk about oil prices and how they've hit like record numbers. And so people are very angry. Also, we've spoken about this uh, usually in the context of South Sudan and how it's doing. But um, Sudan itself, when this region went independent, when South Sudan went independent, uh, I didn't realize, you know, they, they lost 75% uh, of, uh, in terms of oil, mm-hmm. of uh, revenue uh, for the country. So because you can of the see split why. of the two countries. Yeah, yeah. The, the southern country would have more of the oil wealth than uh-huh. the, the remaining Sudan. <laughs> So there's, it's funny, there's no North Sudan and South Sudan. It's South Sudan and Sudan. Mm. Yeah. So, and so what some people are wondering or, or pointing to is, is this the, the popular movement that will bring down uh, the, the regime or the, the president? And of course, that's not clear yet. We give it names like Arab Spring. That might be a little too much. But it is interesting. And when you see the economic circumstances, um, you can see why now there would be such mass protests and so much anger because uh, I think that the... Well, the government is known for mismanaging a lot of things, especially money. And then when you lose part of your income, it's really easier to mismanage your money when you've got lots of it. You can just sort of buy stuff, 
mess up the budget and then go, oh, we'll take a little more money from the oil fund. But if your oil fund is suddenly really smaller than what it used to be and you're you're mismanaging and misallocating your budget, I think that's when you, you feel it and people feel it and you get caught. And so this could be the slow beginning of an end to a government. We'll see. I mean, um, as in Egypt, the government reacted by switching off the internet. That's true. Which didn't really turn out to be a very good decision in a way. <laughs> um, but we've seen how good all those leaders are in learning from others. Mm, that's um, true. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm not so sure if it's still offline. No, I think they're back. They're back, but at least there was one of those reactions. The uh, yeah. interesting part is not that like, oh my God, there's no internet there. Uh, the, the interesting part here is, oh yeah, a government is capable of switching it off immediately. That's really an interesting, um, mm, let's say, attribute of a certain <laughs> country. Um, you know, it wouldn't be... Um, well, I'm not going to say anything about the U.S. in this context, <laughs> but at least in Germany it wouldn't work. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, there are these accepted or adopted tactics by any, any government when mass protests begin, especially in the Middle East and North Africa. There's this, there's this basic checklist of what you should do to crush a people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's a article I was looking in the Bangkok Post, uh, which is a newspaper I've browsed occasionally for many years, and I noticed they had a section on uh, investigations and, and sort of deeper articles, and I noticed this piece called the, um, what was it, the M Myanmar, the revolution will be digitized, and uh, it's not a breaking news uh piece in particular, but it's, it's a, a sort of long-form look at Myanmar in the last few years, especially since, as many people should remember, uh, since 2008, 2009, there's been this opening up of the country. Actually, 2010 was when there was this election, and uh, Aung San Suu Kyi was able to, uh, um, well, get out of house arrest and suddenly become a, a real political figure in the country. So um, now you, you have this sort of opening up in terms of use of technology. So the article does not really what I think is a good job, especially from a country you don't hear from enough, um, uh, to talk about how Myanmar has changed. And I, and I brought just some of these bits of information. So 2008, a SIM card for a mobile phone in Myanmar cost at least 2,000 US dollars. 2,000 for mm -hmm. SIM card. Wow. Um, and that was 2008. Now in 2012, so this is based on last year's info, the price dropped to about 500. Uh, so a lot of people, you know, back then, they wouldn't buy them. They would go to cyber cafes. Of course, cyber cafes could be much more easily, although everything can be controlled and, as we see, turning off and turning on. Um, but nowadays, people are using mobile phones for all kinds of media creation. And as a result, these um, opposition parties, uh, this article talks about one called New Wave or something along those lines, they're benefiting because they're organizing events, protests, and it's not always about you know the presidency. It, it's also about social uh, uh, struggles and, and smaller issues in the country that, of course, add up to a larger issue, which is democracy, which is freedom of expression. And the, let's see, this article also talks about the suppression or the response uh, from the government as people use more and more technology and have access. So still lots of people get arrested and uh, for, for writing on your blog, for writing certain status updates that are found on, on Facebook. Um, and you get arrested for charges of like disturbing social cohesion or the tranquility of society, or they have all these terms for when you basically um, get people uh, aware and maybe a little bit angry about an issue. So you can still get jailed for that, and some activists are, are quoted in this article as being in court every week, uh, most of the year, and charged with all kinds of things. So um, an interesting piece that I wanted to point people to, and it's kind of neat to see it uh, published in a very non- I mean, it's in English, but it's it's not the the standard mainstream 
media that I think you usually hear from. Yeah, uh, going against people writing on the internet in uh, in Asia seems to be a trend. There has just been in August a, uh, a new law coming up in uh, Vietnam, or uh, we're not so sure if it's about law or more like how it's being you know dealt with. But basically, they are trying to come up with all kinds of, you know, if you're not really an officially controlled newspaper and you want to just write uh, whatever you think, and just don't, you know. Um, that's that's a trend. I I'm, I assume sooner or later there will be some kind of backlash, but we've learned uh, out of the NSA scandals and other things that might not be so easy to turn back uh, time. We're losing freedom here of expression mm-hmm. on the Internet. Although for a short period of time, or to some extent, you know, not everything is actually controllable. But it it it, it adds fear. It adds um, problems for those who actually want to participate in the political uh, process in some kind. Um, if you restrict access to the internet, or if you restrict the freedom of expression on the internet, so I'm not so surprised it's coming up now in uh, Myanmar too. Because their neighbors are already very busy doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and this government has also done some odd moves. You would expect, well, no, I would expect a, um, a, a sort of military junta to want to keep power no matter what. And this uh, country has, I mean, this government has responded, yes, to pressure, like you said, from from neighbors and from changes all around it. Um, but it's amazing that instead of like trying to control everything and stay I mean, like a North Korea, like an extreme case, but still, um, you know, not opening up, not really, except for Dennis Rodman, of course. Um, they have instead sort of allowed a few new technologies, a few, a little bit of opening up. And in a way, they have signed their own demise, you know, their, their eventual eventually this country will open up and and it's happening and it's just interesting when the government itself actually lays the groundwork for this it's not the first time that it happens there are many countries that that this happened to uh where the government starts off repressive and then goes uh here you can have this you can do this here's a new policy for freedom of that and suddenly it's like okay uh dictator type leaders go away you're gone you're done um so it's interesting to watch Another example of that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, um, let's see. I've got uh, next up a story from New York City, and this is actually on purpose because I'm I'm going to New York next. Uh, I think next Friday. Uh, New York City's air. Now I, I grew up in that in that air, so I was interested to see a new study that came out, the cleanest in fifty years, uh, and and they really get into sulfur dioxide so uh this is not just about traffic uh, cars it's actually largely about how you heat a building yes uh and so they the mayor who loves to look at all these little aspects of city life sometimes very annoyingly like the size of your soda but in this case uh he's talking about how buildings are heated and he's been, or the, the office has been trying to get people to change the type of heating oil that they use. And what's cool is from such studies, you, of course, get maps. We like maps. And there's these two maps that I'm going to link. Uh, one is from, uh, let me click it so I, I remember exactly what I'm talking about, uh, somewhere around 2008, 2009. And for anyone who's ever seen a map of Manhattan, uh, it's mostly covered in this dark red, which means higher than 10% uh, or, or yeah, well, the rating was quite high of sulfur concentration, and it covers most of Manhattan and into some of the boroughs. And then when you look at the, the newly published map, uh, which is from, I think, 2011, 12, hold on, loading, um, you suddenly see that this dark red that was covering most of the island is now mo- mostly gone, and there are just a few spots, maybe like three small spots, and it's just impressive, and, and you f- I feel that too when I go back to the city. And this is one of those phenomena, like when we talk about the environment, and, and there's lots of aspects, of course, to clean environment. Um, but it's amazing that a city like New York, even a city like New York, can get in some ways cleaner and healthier to breathe in than it was. Then again, and this isn't comparing even to the 80s, which was horrible, but this is comparing to the early 2000s, uh, which is very, 
I think impressive. Yeah, it's an um, um, impressive map because even even the Central Park isn't really excluded from these. You know, <laughs> well, you know they drive it. through it. Yeah, <laughs> they do. And Slowly, it's not. I mean, it might be big, but it's definitely not big enough to um, fend off all these influences. And if you're talking about heating, I mean, isn't the even bigger problem cooling? Yes, although a lot so. Um, when you have, let me, let me try this out. When you, when you have heating oil, uh, the, the, um, what do you call it? The pollution produced mm -hmm. is immediately on site. Yes. Right. Comes out a little smokestack. Yes. More or less. Um, when you have air conditioning, you're talking about electricity use. Yeah. Okay. I see. And they love to put those plants, whether they're nuclear somewhere else. or yeah, somewhere okay. else. So actually we should look at the big map to see where all the power plants are and, and yeah, how's okay. that going. What I was more so. referring to is that the building structure in New York and many other places in the US, as far as I know, is very old yes. and doesn't really you know, take into account a, a clever way of cooling or heating or uh, isolating the buildings yeah they are basically open to the public <laughs> basically yeah. letting everything in and in order to get it out you uh, have to invest a lot of energy so heating is costly and produces a lot of pollution because the buildings are not isolated enough to keep them warm and in the summer uh, they are not really built to uh, keep the heat outside so then you have to invest more energy again. So there's no real good time of the year where these buildings actually work as they were supposed to, to, you know, create an atmosphere where humans love to be in. <laughs> so you have to constantly uh, pour energy into these buildings to, to, to make it somehow bearable. Yeah. So yeah, do you see a trend there? Is there anything about new... Uh, you know that's that's you know that's that's a European thing. You might have this in 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 Amsterdam uh, all the time. If, mm -hmm. if if we look at the American buildings in general, whenever you know this topic is coming up, it's a mess. Either there's a storm coming and all these wooden <laughs> houses, you know, that look like garden shacks. You know, like oh my oh my house my house is gone. Yeah, it's gone because it's just you know wood. <laughs> Why don't you build a good house? Like, oh, we rebuild them all. Yeah, it's still wood. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, you know. It's, wait uh, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've stayed for sure in a log cabin. Isn't it nice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not, not... Couldn't be nice at any point in time. It's just that the, the, the building <laughs> infrastructure in the US always gives me the, the feeling it's not really in touch with reality at no. all. Well, the good news is for New York City, most of those skyscrapers not made of wood. That's the good news. <laughs> <laughs> True. So far. Yes. So far. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure new buildings might have uh, a different way to treat uh, yeah. with this problem. But in a way, what, what the US needs and New York in particular is some kind of um, big plan to you know put some effort into rebuilding this and rewarding uh, rebuilding the the heating cooling situation in those buildings. Yeah, it's a, I mean, look, it's it's a lot. <laughs> here's some obvious stuff. It's a lot of buildings, so you do get these great examples. It's not Dubai, but um, in New York City. I mean, the New York Times building is a fantastic building that actually is only what like ten years old now, not even, and it's impressive. And it's built with this energy efficiency and use of sun in in mind. And for sure, even the new um, World Trade Center slash. What is it called? One World Trade Center uh, is also a, a modern building that takes into account these things. But like you mentioned, a lot of these buildings were built in a time where they just did not think about this or, I don't know, they thought, who cares? And they shoved their fist in the air and said, America, New York. <laughs> and they built the Empire State Building, which is probably completely energy not efficient. Yes. But a gorilla could climb to the top and uh, make a movie. So, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. going getting back <laughs> down from the European horse. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good horse. It's yeah, a good horse. it's a good horse. But uh, I'm no longer uh, on it. <laughs> Let's go to our news source of the day. News source of the day. Since I mentioned uh, an item from a 
um, well, the newspaper in Asia. Let's say the Bangkok Post will be the news source of the day. Uh, the Bangkok Post uh, English, thankfully, because I cannot do Thai yet. And uh, it's published in Bangkok, obviously. And it's uh, been going since 1946. Uh, I know it as an online source, but back in the day, it was, of course, offline. Um, what can I say about it other than it's it's pretty much mainstream. It's not uh, controversial, necessary. There haven't been huge news stories broken by this newspaper. But uh, when it comes to English language news from Asia, it is, I think, quite good, especially the region, the, the, the South Asia region. And anything else? Well, it's it's known for not necessarily criticizing the royal family in Thailand, but that is uh, against the law. So, um, well, it's complicated to do that. But otherwise, I would say it's a good source for, for stories, not just from Thailand, but from its neighboring countries uh, like Myanmar, which is hard to get news from uh, these days. Yeah. So, yeah, add that to the pile. Yeah, and no, also the link I... Um put into this uh, update on the Vietnam internet situation. Also, Bangkok Post, so it might be a source for the whole region somehow. Yes. All right. Yes. Well, there we have it. There's the news for this week. Eat it up. Digest it. Swallow. And then go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't leave for another week, so uh, so we can perhaps do a, a full show for the, with the this setup uh next week tim and uh yeah i have to see if there's a chance next week but okay. might happen uh, all right well on the road uh, will also be possible uh, i'll be stopping in let's see i'm, I'm mostly in brooklyn I've, i'm giving a, a lecture at brooklyn college oh yeah i'll put a link to that lecture <laughs> if you're in new york city you can come i'll make sure you get in just just send the message leave a comment on our website and uh let's see i'm going to go to boston to go visit christopher Lydon and radio open source mm. gang uh because we might we might have something small coming up uh in the next few months mm. so you'll hear all about it and otherwise i'm just going to go look around america and uh eat some junk food no wait no never <laughs> yeah, right. get a taste of the sulfur as long as there is still some available in the air. Exactly. Uh, so, thanks everybody for listening. Yep, catch you next week. Bye. Bye.